Welcome to the Ultradent Products Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Stace Lind. Dr. Lind is a teacher and lecturer internationally and nationally at dental schools and state dental societies concerning techniques, methods, and materials of composite placement, tooth whitening, and current endodontic concepts for the general practitioner. Dr. Lind has a general practice in Littleton, Colorado. Today, he will be discussing overhead management and patient communication in the second of three practice building discussions. Hi, this is Stace Lind. I practice in Denver, Colorado. Our practice runs on numbers. People lie, numbers don't. Uh, It's taken me many years to get my practice down to a 42% overhead. Myself and, and Dr. Scott Lindsay, my dental partner, have worked very hard to you know, be 20, 25% below the national average, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Because if you, let's say a practice, let's say a practice is just taking in $50,000 a month. That $50,000 a month, let's say you changed overhead 1%. 1% is only $500 a month. But if the de- average dentist practices 20 years, that's $247,910, somewhere in that area. And just off when, the top of your head. Yeah, well, I know, I know that because I used it in a lecture recently. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting is is if you have two, two, basically $250,000, you know, a quarter of a million dollars just in 20 years from 1%, and I found different structures in my practice, both in Indo and in other areas, as well as just the general operations of the practice, that myself and Dr. Lindsay were able to lower our practice in such a way that, you know, if we, we figured that 10%, let's say it's on the same premise, $500 a month. If you affect your practice just 10 percentage points, what happens is that works out to be $3.5 million if you practice 20 years. Well, the interesting thing is, is, is doing that and working the numbers and being smart in business will actually help you retire five to seven years sooner on as a minimum but what it really does is let you practice longer, but in a less stressed environment, non-financially stressed environment, that you can actually do better good for your patients that instead of diagnosing the wallets and trying to thinking that your money is based on how many crowns or teeth you can put in a pencil sharpener. So what it, what it does is I now puts me in a point where I can choose if the patient's right for the practice and if I'm right for them. If they want McDonald's dentistry, then they're going to have to go somewhere down the street because this isn't a drive-through. You know, we're going to do something right. We're going to be conservative. Uh, It may take us a little longer, you know, building up the whole tooth and composite or doing whatever we need to, but it's not just the quick fix, you know, prep the tooth down. Do you have a couple of quick tips on reducing overhead? In, in reducing overhead, some of, the, some of the things that will affect you almost immediately, and, and it's funny you say that because dentists in general, as I've traveled around, dentists w- always think that they can save money, the dollars that they're losing in every other aspect, they try to make up for with pennies that they're trying to save on buying a cheap material, mm-hmm. which is a disservice to the patient. I was surprised to find out recently that zinc phosphate cement is the number one sold cement in the state of Colorado. Really? I was told that by the dental supplier. And the interesting thing was is that is almost, we're, we'll be approaching 100 years here in <laughs> just a few years. And, and the interesting thing is, is 
I think technology's improved a little bit since then. Why in the heck would you use a zinc phosphate cement that has so much acidic nature to it, to the tooth? What does that do to the root canal? What does that do to the nerve? What does that do to the tissues? When we have reinforced glass ionomers, when we have all the other new materials, and it's based on cost. Dentists aren't much different than our patients. They shop prices, and if we don't perceive a value, we think a cement is a cement is a cement, or an obturation material is an obturation material, yeah. or a file is a file. Even just with, with endo, I don't know if I answered your question fully, but as far as some of the tips as, as far as practice management and lowering overhead, one of the biggest ones would be scheduling. We have four systems that we use within our practice that helps with phraseology helping patients understand their commitment to the appointment and knowing that every appointment in our book is a reserved time. And I'm not seeing 10 other people. I'm not even seeing two other people. I'm seeing them. This is their time. And my life is my time. And I, and I can't have it abused. I can't waste my time waiting. Well, how the appointments affect practice profitability almost overnight is if you sit down and take a look at all the cancellations you've had in the last two months or one month, how much every time you have to do it, and just times it by, you know, 12 and let's get what it is for a year mm -hmm. and uh, find out how many hours are missing there in hygiene, which is a huge issue for recall system and how that affects what comes into your chair and what you can diagnose. Typically, if you have struggles with scheduling in your chair and scheduling for production, then it, you first look at hygiene and find out what's coming from there. But the patient's commitment to appointment is, is, is huge in the fact that the statistics are, people lie, numbers don't again, is the average practice in the United States has over half a million dollars of undone treatment that's sitting in the charts that aren't in the chairs. The reason is, is dentists are poor communicators. We think we're great, but if you want to, if you want to find out if you're a great communicator or not, go home tonight to your significant other, your spouse, your husband, wife, and ask them. Just lean over to them and say, "Honey, am I a great communicator or what?" <laughs> and and then wait for a moment and get the response and hear them out. Uh, we're not so great. We really aren't. The average dentist in the United States, uh, in their treatment planning and case presentation of patients, three out of the ten patients will end up in the chairs. The other seven don't have a firm conviction of owning their own dental issues or problems. And so it remains in the chairs. And then the staff tries to coerce them into an appointment which they regrettably sort of make already knowing in their mind before they leave the door that they won't be back. And if you get a hold of the appointment book, you'll save yourself. You know, another statistic, the average practice in the United States spends two extra, two to two and a half weeks a year due to missed, canceled, no-showed appointments. Wow. Meaning that if you get in control of missed, canceled, no-showed appointments, you can either take two to two and a half weeks off of work or spend that time doing service work. If you make the same amount of money, take that extra two and a half weeks and go do a service mission or go down to the downtown mission downtown or do service work in your own practice. 
helping people out for two and a half additional weeks because you've sat around for two and a half weeks for how many years and if you keep doing what you're doing you're going to keep getting what you're getting mm-hmm. it's like a rat in a cage that's, that's what i call dental schizophrenia you, you keep getting this but you keep expecting that and it doesn't work it doesn't work in our lives and it doesn't work in our practices uh, dentists are trying to keep up with the lifestyles of their patients that's a problem you know, it comes down to solvency and getting in control. Where it all starts is a relationship. Everything in life is personal relationship. And that relationship between the patient and the doctor is vital, and it's, and it's important in how, it's, how it begins. It begins in my office. I never meet the patient in the chair, and I'll never meet a patient lying down. Years ago, I went into a grocery store, and a patient uh, that I – I didn't recognize because I was seeing so many people. I was running around like roller skates, you know, because it was insane. And I had to change what I was doing. It, it, it really hit me. She goes, oh, you look so familiar. And jokingly, I put my ma- hand over the, my mouth, imitating like the mask that I wear on my face. She goes, oh, Dr. Lynn, you're my dentist. <laughs> and I thought, this is terrible. So from that point on, I, I refused to work on a stranger, uh, That coming from Harold Worth. Uh, he was at LSU for many years before he passed away. And I, I just knew I couldn't work on a stranger, and I knew I had to have a, a common ground and beginning with each patient as, as we get started. So instead of meeting him in the chair, we, we go to the office. I have a little glass of water. I sit down. No agenda. I, don't, I bring no agenda. I want to find out what they want. So I ask them, what brings them here, and, and uh, what kind of dentist are they looking for? And it always takes them by surprise. And yeah. uh, I said, well, there's different types of dentists. A dentist isn't a dentist isn't a dentist. There's some that uh, – there's different philosophies, different beliefs, and uh, different materials that are used in different ways we treat patients. I want to find out before we sit in the chair whether I'm the right dentist for you or not and whether you're the right patient for our practice. And so that always begins a setting where it really sort of, it's interesting how acceptable the patients are to that. And then thinking about what they really want. Some patients want aesthetics. Some patients want function. Some just want health. And what happens is if that dentist went to a a veneer course or a composite course the week before, then what they're trying to sell aesthetics. And this patient may just want function. Mm -hmm. And so I want to find out what they really, really, really want and not what I'm trying to impose in my value system upon them. Uh, it's, It's amazing. If you look at, dentists have told me many times how they cannot figure it out why the the patient pulls up in a Mercedes, is wearing a $1,000 suit, and comes in, talks about their recent trip to Europe, and then wants to finance a crown for a year. It doesn't make sense. But if you look at the demographics and what patients spend their money on, over $200 billion on gambling and around $200 billion for in, in alcohol and both the tobacco and alcohol areas, if you look at over $127 billion spent on cosmetics and $87 billion spent on veterinary care, a billion and a half on the Snickers bar, number one sold candy wow. bar and then you have dentistry at a measly you know 36 to 40 billion 
And people tend to have money for what they really, really want. They find a way to finance what they really, really want. They, they may not need or can get by without the Mercedes, but if they really want it, they find a way to get it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you find out what that patient really wants in dental health and you start making them attuned to what dental health is, they will find a way to keep that appointment and they'll find a way to pay for it. Because if we try to force them into appointments for something that they don't really, really want. Then it's not a big deal for them to just it not isn't. show up. They'll, they'll, they'll spend the money on dinner that night. They'll go to the shows. They'll buy tickets to the Utah Jazz game. They'll <laughs> hang out and go up to the ski ski park, and, and they'll have money for skiing on the weekend. But they'll miss your appointment for whatever treatment that you're trying to impose on them. And so coming from that, in that initial appointment with a patient, I sit down and and after the initial questions, I ask them what their expectations are of me. And they'll say, maybe see me on time, or maybe it's uh, do good dental work, or you know, just keep me healthy, whatever, whatever it is. And I, and I always turn back and I say, this is a two-way relationship. It takes two to say yes, one to, one to say no. Every relationship is that way. Mm-hmm. Patient relationship is that way. Two to say yes, one to say no. May I share my expectations I have with you? If they say no, then I send them uh, out the front door. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> they, they, I don't want them in the practice. Most patients respond favorably. Uh, only a few every once in a while will I quickly find out they're not right for our practice. <laughs> to but put it delicately. <laughs> it, I'd rather find out then and part as friends than have uh, stressful situations later missed appointments people that don't want to pay for their dentistry and so forth it's Mm -hmm. it's not worth the stress that the few dollars you make in the beginning is not worth the pain at the end in sending that patient somewhere else so my expectations i have for each patient that comes into practice is one each appointment is a bond of trust each time in the appointment book is a reserved time for you not for anyone else, you become the most important person in my life at that time because I've chose to spend it with you, helping and serving you. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? It doesn't make you the most, you don't take over you know, where my wife is you know, or, <laughs> or a child, but you are the most important person at that time because I've chose to spend time helping you out, serving you. And if I'm going to be here, and if you expect me to see you on time, then I expect you to be here. Absolutely, with no questions. And after, if that happens, we will meet in this room again before you can be in my appointment book again. I just Patients that just no-show appointments cannot just pop in my appointment book and pop out any time they'd like to because that's abusing my time. And I have so many other patients that I need to help. You are in inter- that would interfere with my helping other people. Now I don't go through this whole thing. It just depends on patients' responses and sure. and feedback. And sometimes they just immediately testify and they say, you know what, we appreciate that. I promise you, you know. And and so you get eye to eye visual contact. Eyes are the window of the soul, so to speak. Visual contact with that person that you're in agreement. You've begun a relationship and in in some bond, bonded trust that can develop in a commitment to appointment. Then the next thing 
I tell them, I will do beautiful dentistry for you. And I do a lot in trying to always learn and do better dentistry. That's why we say we're practicing dentistry. We're, we never arrive. If we think we've arrived, we're done. Mm-hmm. Photosynthesis ends and fall begins. That's where right proceeds rotten. <laughs> so we want to stay green. We want to stay growing. That's photosynthesis. It's action and en- energy. But when we look at us doing beautiful dentistry for you, we can only do that if we can afford to pay everyone, take care of our bills and, and everything else. Only governments operate in negative numbers. So when we do beautiful dentistry, we expect you to pay for it. And we don't want to hear any complaints. I'll tell you the fees before we start, and we'll talk about what we're doing. But when you agree for us to do the work, and, we agree, and I want the agreement that, that you're going to pay for it. Is that understandable? And I won't tolerate any abuse to staff. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing we do here is we work as a family, and we respect each other. And so if you yell or get upset at any of the staff, it's just assume you're yelling at me because it's going to be taken in that same light. Are we, is this okay? I mean, I just want to get everything on the table before we sit in the chair and begin our comprehensive exam. And what happens through that process, and you can do it in two minutes, you can do it in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you want to take, but it begins a process where you develop a practice full of patients that have an incredible respect, send numerous other patients to you, and then the way we do our comprehensive exam is just unbelievable, where patients will literally, the most common thing that I hear almost weekly is, We've never had a dentist be so more thorough than what you've done. And that actually leads into the teeth whitening because at the end of that comprehensive exam, and this is the only thing I do delegate uh, at the end of that exam, is I, I tell them we've gotten all the information we need. Next time we see you, we'll see you, and we're going to have you for the cleaning because we need to find out what type of cleaning they need and see how much time we schedule. We schedule appropriately to that patient, so that's why we do the exam first. And right after the cleaning, they come into my office, and we sit down for about 10 to 15 minutes and do a review of findings of everything from that first appointment because I, then I can have time to get a, a treatment plan ready. It's better for the patient. It's not about me. It's really better for the patient coming in and running a hygiene mill and doing an exam for two minutes at the end after all the evidence has been removed is an absolute abuse of the patient. It may work for insurance and the docs, but, but patients respect comprehensive care. They expect detailed and attentive care. And so that at the end of that appointment, I tell them, my assistant is now going to take a shade of your teeth. And because these ladies are so wonderful with, and I and I tell them I I, I can see good and I can thing. I can look at colors, but there's something about, you know, my assistant just has this incredible eye for exact shade, and so I just she helps me through everything, and so I, I'm going to have her take a shade right now, and as she has a shade guide, she's going to sort of pick one out, and we put this in the chart, and the reason why we do. I'm not telling you, we're not taking this shade to tell you what it should be, but only what it is. So in the future, if anything, if you ever ask, we always have patients ask, uh, are my teeth getting darker? Well, what's the dentist going to say? If you have no scientific information, you haven't measured something or you haven't shaded something, then it's just a guess off the cuff. 
I would like to be able to pull open the chart in three to five years, and if you say, are my teeth getting darker now from the wine I've been drinking or from whatever I've been doing, I can open the chart and see the shade, and my assistant and I can turn around and take a look, and we can have you and help pick with us, and we can actually see, is it getting darker or not? Also, if we're ever going to, I need to know beforehand, because that's what we match our dental work to, but also if you're ever going to do dental work, you need to understand that we're going to have to match to this shade. And so as she's taking the shade and she sees this full array of colors, of course they see the dark ones and, and then they see the light ones. And they're like, well, if we're going to have to do some dentistry, I think I'd rather be at this shade than the one that they're being picked at most of the time. But we don't infer that on them. I, I don't impose, impose the patient with that. But it's just a part of the exam and a part of taking care of patients and uh, educating them that makes, makes really all the difference. I'm, I know it's just little things, but there's quite a bit of information if I were to really get into all the systems that affect profitability, but these are a few. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. For a full archive of Ultradent's podcasts, please visit podcast.ultradent.com. If you have ideas or suggestions for an upcoming podcast, please send an email to ultradentnews at ultradent.com. <laughs>